Welcome to In the Oil Patch, presented by Shale Magazine and sponsored by Steer. Broadcasting today from Agreco Studios. Agreco, powering the Permian. In the Oil Patch is where, together, we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bellotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch. Welcome to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. I'm your host, Kim Pilato, and today we have a great show lined up for you. We actually have our resident energy expert and editor of Show Magazine, David Blackman, who will be joining us. But first, I want to talk to you about the latest issue of Show Magazine. Our cover, this issue, is ConocoPhillips, in which we talk a little bit about the amazing company, their great work that they did in handling Hurricane Harvey, and of course, the chairman and CEO, Ryan Lance as well. It's an issue that you definitely want to read. So I encourage you to go to shellmag.com. Again, that's S-H-A-L-E-M-A-G.com and read all about ConocoPhillips and Ryan Lance. And now it's time to bring on David Holt, who is the president of Consumer Energy Alliance for this week's business spotlight. David, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Now, David, before we get started, I want to just talk to you briefly about Consumer Energy Alliance. What is its mission? You know, Consumer Energy Alliance, we're coming up on our 15th year, and the the mission really is about energy impacts the entire U.S. economy. So how do we bring all facets of the U.S. economy together in one trade association to talk about where we get our energy, how we maintain affordable energy, how do we continue to improve our environmental performance? So our members are really the, the agriculture community and the transportation community and manufacturers and the plastic industry and, and hospitals and restaurants and small businesses and individual families all over the country. So um, it's really bringing all those different groups together with on all of the above strategy, all facets of the energy industry, uh, including energy efficiency and conservation, to have this good, robust discussion about public policy and, and how we meet our energy needs now and well into the future. Interesting. And it's much needed because there's just a lack of information out there. Um, but I want to change gears just a little bit and talk about uh, uh, your event that is coming up here October 20th, which is next Saturday, and it's called Energy Day. Tell me a little bit about what we can expect uh, from Energy Day this year. So, you know, one of the things that Consumer Energy Alliance recognized probably about 10 years ago is the need for kind of universal education on all energy resources um, and how that applies to STEM, science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. So we got together with our board of directors and members and, and came up with the Energy Day Festival idea, which recognizes STEM and energy, what STEM means to energy and what energy means to STEM. So it's a big festival. It's now grown. We're in our eighth year of the Energy Day Festival in the city of Houston. We just had our second year in the city of Denver, Colorado. Last year, we had 30,000 people attend Energy Day, making it the third largest festival behind Earth Day and the Fourth of July Festival in the city of Houston and the largest energy festival in the United States. Uh, we have 80 exhibitors that focus on the science behind energy. It's oil, it's natural gas, it's coal, it's wind, it's solar, it's energy technology, it's energy efficiency. Lots of fun games for kids to play. Uh, kids of all ages have a great time, plus their families. We give out about uh, $15,000 in awards. 
to, to K through 12th graders during Energy Day, plus teachers in the greater Houston area. Uh, this year, I think we'll pass $120,000 in awards to K through 12th graders and probably over 800 kids in the eight years of Energy Day. Uh, great weather, fun time, downtown Houston in Sam Houston Park. Um, and it's from 11 o'clock to 4 o'clock next Saturday, October 20th. Really encourage everyone, anyone that's in Texas, come by, see what we're doing in Energy Day, see the future of energy, all the great careers that are possible for that eighth grader that, that's thinking, man, science, you know, do I stay in science or not? Stay in science because these are the cool jobs that you can have if you stay in science, you make good grades. I couldn't agree with you more. And we were there last year and we'll be there again this year. It is a lot of fun. And these children, the, the, the kids, you just see the kiddos having so much fun learning all about these hands-on activities. And and like you said, there's hundreds of people there, a lot of kids. So you you guys are really doing something right. And I'm impressed because there are a lot of different uh, events that you can go to and by far um, this is probably one of my favorite just to see the smile on these kids faces and then they're also getting scholarship and of course you're engaging them early in STEM which of course we know those are the future for high paying jobs so absolutely and Shell Magazine is such a good partner with us and we really really appreciate you coming back and being a leader in in Energy Day and, and the festival and, and like you said it's so rewarding to see that there are hearts and minds being changed and and the excitement of the opportunity to learn and and frankly the excitement of the exhibitors to have the opportunity to teach and to, to share some of their experiences with uh, with all these kids and, and their moms and dads. And you know, the other best part of it is it's free. So thank you for joining us and we look forward to seeing you at the Energy Day next Saturday. Always a pleasure. Thank you, guys. Thanks again, David, for joining us for this week's Business Spotlight. Now it's time to bring on our resident energy expert and editor of Shell Magazine, David Blackman. David, welcome to the show. Hey, it's another beautiful day in Texas. Rain, 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 rain. Yes, beautiful day. Everything is so green, isn't it? It's so it nice is. to it's see. wonderful. Yes. I want to jump into the show because obviously we have a lot to talk about. Let's start with the price per barrel. Is it going, where is it going? Because it's it's up a little bit again. Um, and so um, we're hearing again, media reports, it's going up to $100 a barrel. And you and I yeah. sit here and like, <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> so tell me your thoughts. Well, it, it, you know, it did jump above 80, 75 uh, this week, which uh, is quicker than I thought it would get there. I, I've been saying all year I thought it would get there uh, for West Texas Intermediate, the U.S. price for oil, uh, by the end of this year. Well, here we are in October, and it's $75. And that that mainly is the market overreacting to the reimplementation of, of sanctions uh, by the United States against Iran. And they're seeing, you know, oh, my gosh, China's going to stop importing oil from Iran and all these companies are going to quit doing business with Iran. Yeah, because they don't want to get hit with sanctions from the United States. So uh, Iranian exports are going to drop. And the market, as markets tend to do, initially overreacts to that. And so the price jumped up three, four dollars a barrel in just a few days. Well, but sooner or later, what happens is the market calms down. And they decide, well, okay, we're at this level. Let's keep it at this level and wait and see if Saudi Arabia and Russia, uh, two countries with a a tremendous amount of excess producing capacity, let's see 
if they follow up on what they've said they're going to do, and that is increase their own production to make up the difference, right? And I suspect what we're going to see this month is Saudi Arabia and Russia are going to announce that they're increasing their production to fill the void that's being left uh, by the Iranian oil that's coming off the market now. And the effect that'll have is to hold the price steady, or it might even go down a little bit in the near term. And uh, but I think I still think overall between now and the end of the year, the 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 inertia behind oil prices is going to be behind the slowly rising oil prices, uh, just because the market's balanced. And um, you know, other than the United States. Uh, unless Saudi Arabia and Russia do jump in and, and raise their production, the United States is really the only country that is significantly increasing production every month. So you end up with, with a market situation that just ag agitates for slowly rising oil prices between now and January. And then the question in January becomes, well, what do U.S. producers do then? And what does OPEC do? when they reset the terms of their export agreement with Russia in January. Um, okay, so let's switch gears a little bit and move over to New Mexico. You know, that it's becoming a trend that big publicly traded companies are leaving the basin and private companies are coming in to take their place. And I'm curious, why is this happening? Yeah, and so it's a really interesting phenomenon. I find it interesting because I worked for many years for, for Burlington Resources, which is uh, – a big producer, uh, the biggest producer in the San Juan Basin for 20 years, uh, ConocoPhillips, bought all those assets in 2006. And what happened last year, uh, mid-year last year, they sold all those assets uh, in the San Juan Basin to Hillcorp, a privately held company here in Texas. Uh, in Canada, uh, WPX uh, earlier this year did the same thing, uh, sold to a private company. In Canada, just did the same thing. And, and so what's happening uh, in that basin up there in the northwest corner of the state uh, is that it's a very mature basin and it's mainly natural gas production. There's a huge coal seam called the Fruitland Coal Formation that produced most of it in recent years. But there's been natural gas production in the San Juan Basin going all the way back to the 1920s. Well, David, we do have to take a quick break. You are listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show and we'll be right back. In the Oil Patch Radio Show is proud to bring you this week's Energy Minute produced by shalemag.com. Here's Texas Railroad Commissioner Ryan Sitton with your current industry update. This is Texas Railroad Commissioner Ryan Sitton with your Energy Minute. Yesterday, the American Petroleum Institute reported a 9.8 million barrel increase in U.S. oil inventories last week. This was the largest build since February of 2017, and it was substantially larger than analyst estimates, which were expecting an increase of around 2.5 million barrels. In other news, BP CEO Bob Dudley was doing a television interview and discussing U.S. impending sanctions on Iran. He explained that the market will be very volatile until the full effects of sanctions are felt. However, he also stated that Saudi Arabia has sufficient capacity to cover for drops in Iranian production, calming market supply fears. WTI dropped $2.04 yesterday to close at $72.63 per barrel. This is Ryan Sitton, and that's your Energy Minute. Listen to In the Oil Patch Radio and keep up with the oil and gas industry online at shalemag.com. Join us Saturday, October 20th at Sam Houston Park for the 8th Annual Energy Day, one of Houston's largest free family festivals. Energy Day has music, food, games, and fun. 
Enjoy over 60 interactive exhibits showcasing science, technology, engineering, mathematics, energy, and careers. Don't miss out on the fun. Admission is free. Brought to you by Philip 66, TechNIP FMC, TransCanada, Consumer Energy Education Foundation, and the Consumer Energy Alliance. For more information, visit energydayfestival.org. Agreco has been powering the Permian Basin for over 10 years, supporting Permian producers with temporary power to get their product to market. When utility power is not available, Agreco is your reliable alternative. Agreco supports power systems as small as a single 200 kilowatt to as large as a 50 megawatt power plant. So when your utility power is delayed, call on Agreco to engineer a diesel, natural gas, or battery solution to fit your needs. We have immediate availability right here in the Permian Basin. Call 1-800-AGRECO or online agreco.com. Here's the number, so write it down. Oil-filled experts, 210-471-1923. Again, that's 210-471-1923. And we're back. You're listening to End the Oil Patch Radio Show. Our uh, guest today is our editor and expert in oil and gas, our regular expert in oil and gas, David Blackman. David, I want to jump into Colorado's proposed 112. Uh, the, these activists are opposed to oil and gas development in Colorado um, and making sure that it doesn't succeed and is putting in this proposition in, on the November ballot, um, and it's called Proposition 112. Tell us a little bit about what is going on in Colorado in this proposition. Yeah, well, you know, they, of course, there have been activists, uh, a lot of activists, uh, opposition to uh, oil and gas up there for several years now. And they have uh, tried to bring uh, various different propositions like this uh, over the last four or five years. They started with a fracking ban, an outright ban on hydraulic fracturing several years ago, and that failed. Right. And so now what they've landed on is a proposition that would establish a 2,500-foot setback rule throughout the state of Colorado. And setback is how far every state has a setback rule. How far does your drilling site have to be from any occupied structure, basically? In Texas, it's 500 feet. Um, Some parts of the state that are less populated, it's 300 feet. And um, so in Colorado, they they want to implement one that's 2,500 feet, a lot more extensive. Effectively, what it would create is a 450-acre zone around your well, uh, you know, that you would have to be set back uh, from any structure, any any occupied structure, any water source, or any uh, vulnerable area. So that's that's uh, how well, they're going about it this well, time. Well, let's talk about that vulnerable area, because I'm not quite sure. What does that term mean, or, you know, the term yeah. area designated <laughs> as vulnerable actually mean? Yeah, and who well, determines that? Means, right. And so it, it means pretty much anything any of the activists want it to mean. And anything the, the activists can convince a judge or a regulatory body like the Colorado Conservation Commission to rule it to be. Um, one thing it could be, for example, is like uh, designated mating areas for endangered or threatened species, you know, which under the Endangered Species Act is perfectly valid valid, right? And there are already those kinds of restrictions throughout the Rocky Mountain states anyway. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so it just would be this. It's, it's vague language put into the law that's highly open to interpretation. It's what they always try to do so that a judge, you know, a favorable judge can say, oh, golly, you're right. That's threatened. That's vulnerable somehow, whatever it is. And uh, this is a tactic they use uh, repeatedly all over the country. And, and obviously they've been a little successful, or they haven't been successful, excuse me. Obviously they haven't been very successful in a lot of these places, and let's kind of hope Colorado doesn't go along with this. Um, there's been a recent study that also showed that this new setback law would essentially prevent drilling anywhere in the state. So how likely is this to pass, and um, like, what happens to drilling if this thing actually goes through? Well, that, that's right. You know, there was an independent study that... Uh, you know, analyzed what what the real impacts of this rule would be, particularly in the DJ Basin, which is, you know, what the big shale play is north of Denver and, and to the east of Denver, big wide area in the northeast quarter of the state. And they basically determined that with the 2,500-foot setback rule, it, essentially it would shut down the industry. There would be no more drilling in the DJ Basin, no more access to that incredible amount of oil and gas that's underground. And, um, you know, that's exactly the goal uh, that these activists have. So, uh, well, What are the operators, though, doing in reference to trying to overcome Well, they're this? opposing it. Uh, and, you know, they have a, a very uh, healthy and significant campaign that they are uh, along with agricultural interests and, and, a, and a bunch of other business interests uh, opposing this, because if they can do this, the oil and gas industry, I mean, think about it. If, if you're in any industry that impacts, uh, moves dirt in any way or builds anything uh, out there in this part of the state or really anywhere in, in, in Colorado, mm-hmm. you can be, the same thing can be done to you through laws like this. And so the whole business community is opposed to this. Uh, the governor, or the current governor, is opposed to it. The Colorado Conservation's opposed to it. The Denver Post, a extreme liberal newspaper, voted an op-ed. Their editorial board against it this week. And um, you know, it's it's a horrible idea. It, it just would cost the state tens of thousands of jobs and billions of dollars, literally billions of dollars in economic activity. It's um, it's really a, a, a terrible terrible uh, thing for people to be voting on. And, you know, sometimes when you think you're doing good and you actually, you know, it happens where you you do something and then you recognize, oh, shoots, you know, what happened was it had more negative than positive impacts on what you were trying to do. And it kind of sounds like there's, fortunately, even a lot of the liberal thinkers are seeing problems with this. And, um, yeah. I sure hope for Colorado that they, uh, you know, it's a beautiful state and, and uh, just, wow, I can't uh, hope this doesn't happen because you're right. They, they stand to lose a lot, and I don't really know what the gain is. Um, I, I, I want to get into a little bit um, uh, about Trump, and um, he's allowing this 15% ethanol blends year-round, and so I want to get into, you know, what that is. So earlier this week, President Trump instructed the EPA to write regulations that would allow the production of E15 blends all year round. And E15 blends is gasoline with 15% ethanol blend into it, correct? Yes, that's right. Currently, when you go to your pump, right, you go to your gas station. Right. And you see those little numbers on your gas, on the the pump, yeah. Right. And pretty much all your gasoline has 10% ethanol blended into it right now. And, and so what 
what the president ruled this week is, is well, he didn't rule anything. He instructed the Environmental Protection Agency to write new regulations that would allow this E15 blend with 15% instead of 10% ethanol in it mm-hmm. to be blended all year round. And uh, it's, it's not a requirement that anybody market or buy it, but it's going to be allowed here in the future. It's, it's something that's going to be optional for refiners to blend into their gasolines if they want to. And um, so it's, it's been pretty mischaracterized in the media this week as some sort of requirement and that, you know, everybody's going to be forced to buy it. And that's really not the case. It's an option. Exactly. Yeah. Well, you know, I want to get back on the subject. We do have to take a quick break, but when we return, we're going to get back on the ethanol uh, topic. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. Any business can benefit from advertising to the oil and gas industry, but it's really important to partner with a marketing company that has a proven track record with this growing industry. Shale Oil & Gas Business Magazine is the one-stop shop that'll keep you in front of the customers that you need to grow your business. So let's start growing your business in Texas. Email us, info at shalemag.com. Again, that's info at shale, S-H-A-L-E, mag, M-A-G, dot com. Or you can call us. 210-240-7188. 210-240-7188. Again, that's 210-240-7188. And we're back. You're listening to End the Old Patch Radio Show. Our uh, guest today is our editor and expert in oil and gas, our regular expert in oil and gas, David Blackman. David, Before uh, the break, we were talking about President Trump instructing the EPA to allow production with this E15 blend uh, to go all year round. And that basically is gasoline with a little bit more ethanol in it, 5% more. Again, is this uh, media hype? Yeah, it it is media hype. And, of course, we, you know, the the energy media is always full of misinformation. It's very frustrating. to read some of the stuff that gets put out in the energy-related media in this country because there's so many people writing about it. I know. don't really know what they're talking exactly. about. Exactly. That's it, why they it, should listen to this yeah. show, <laughs> so they exactly. get the 411 skinny that's truthful. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But let's go back. Around the turn of the century, the Bush administration implemented these mandates, uh, the EPA during the Bush administration, that refiners blend ethanol into their gasolines to help reduce smog. Okay. And it has been a very successful program. And they, they determined at the time that uh, as much as 10% ethanol in the gasoline helps to reduce smog. And so they implemented a mandate and they implemented subsidies for corn farmers to right. you know farm more corn to be blended into ethanol and all that. And, and so at the same time, they also decided to allow up to 15% content, but they only allow that to be sold eight months out of the year. And 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 so what the president did this week was simply just to, to look at EPA and say, okay, look, why don't we just allow, he's doing a favor for Chuck Grassley out there in Iowa, they, you know, just steered Kavanaugh through the Supreme Court nominating process. And he and plus, he had he had made a promise during the campaign, and we all know the president's very focused on keeping his campaign promises. So he made this promise during the campaign, and, and what he said is, is you know what, the EPA is going to rewrite these rules and allow the sale of ethanol all year round. Now, 
does that mean you're going to be forced to buy ethanol? No. It, 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 it's it, an it, option. It, no, absolutely not. It's an option. You may see some more pumps at your local gas stations that offer it. That doesn't mean you have to buy it. The E10 is still going to be there. But the E15 may be there, too, and you can decide what you want to put in your tank. And what is the, for the consumer who doesn't understand the differences between the 10 or the 15, what is the benefit to the consumer to use a 15% ethanol? So if, if I had my way, if I was keen for a day, I would get rid of all these subsidies and mandates because ethanol doesn't do anything good for the environment other than it does help to reduce smog in certain cities during certain times of the year. Okay. Okay. Uh, a California it gas tank, it doesn't do you any good in terms of octane or helping your engine run better. In fact, there are a lot of engines, high compression engines in high dollar automobiles, these European and some of the high end Japanese cars. Mm-hmm. If you put E15 in your tank, you run the risk of really ruining your engine, okay? E15 can really be damaging to your these high compression engines. It also can really be damaging to lawnmower engines and and other yard garden tools that run on on gasoline. And so people don't, you know, people with those kinds of cars and those kinds of lawn tools don't want E15 because they're worried about their engines. Um, And so, you know, what's the benefit of it? I'll be honest with you, I don't don't know any benefit of it, frankly, and and I, I don't. Maybe it helps the farmers. <laughs> Maybe it helps. Now, well, it, yeah. well, if you're a corn farmer, you like it because you're getting subsidies from the government. Exactly. Well, well, let, let me ask you another question then. So why is the EPA restricting the sale of this E15 for eight months oh. per the year? And why are they even yeah, banning it, it in some parts of the country? <laughs> well, that's right. And so one of the determinations EPA made early on in this is that anything higher than 10%, uh, ethane blended in gasolines during summer months when you have these uh, those people have seen that live in big cities see the haze that develops during summer months right they decided that any blend above 10 percent ethane can help actually cause more haze rather than reduce it and so for those months which is about the middle of may through the middle of september they actually don't allow companies to blend E15 during those months of the year because of that. And then there's some parts of the country where they don't allow the sale of it all. I think in Los Angeles and some other uh, big cities where you have real big, bad smog and haze problems, you're not even really allowed to sell it in those those communities. So so that's why the restriction has been there. The president is, is now saying, okay, it's just not a big problem either way. Yeah, and, and, uh, and the and, EPA, frankly, has advised them that it's not a big problem either way, and right. so they're going to rewrite those regulations. But again, to be clear, when you go to your gas station and you got a pump sitting there that says E15 on it, you're not required to buy it. You don't have the EPA and, and, still be there. And you better be sure that it's not going to damage your vehicle as well. We got that. David, when we come back, I wanted to get on the topic. I want to stay on just a little bit and find out, are there any gasolines that actually don't have ethanol at all? But we do have to take a quick break. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. Farmers and ranchers are the hardest working people on earth and deserve a side-by-side vehicle that works just as hard. That's why Yamaha makes the Viking an all-new Viking 6, the world's first true three and six person UTVs assembled in America. Ranked number one in drivetrain durability, 
Viking outworks and outclasses the competition in features, comfort, and off-road capability. For more, visit YamahaViking.com. Most dependable claim based on a 2013 Yamaha Source side-by-side owner study. Let's start growing your business in Texas. Email us, info at shalemag.com. And we're back. You're listening to End the Oil Patch Radio Show. I'm your host, Kim Bilotto, and today we're joined by David Blackman, our resident energy expert, just having a show of trying to put too much together, David. There's there's always so much to talk about, and uh, so we've decided we're going to donate a show to just talking about all the stuff that never gets discussed in the main media. But before the break, I was just um, asking you, we were on the subject of ethanol, and, and so now I'm wondering, is there anywhere that you can purchase gas without ethanol in it at all? Yes, there is. There are actually hundreds of places around the country and, and dozens in Texas gas stations that, sell, that do sell you know, gasoline with no ethanol in it at all, just pure old gasoline, right, mm-hmm. uh, which we used to get to drive in this country. That was There's the regular and the unleaded, right? <laughs> right, exactly. And, and there are uh, quite a few gas stations around the around the state here uh, in Texas and around the country, there's a website called www.pure-gas.org. And if you go there, you'll find a list of gas stations uh, near you where you can go, and it gives you the the name of the station and the address, and, and you can actually go there and gas up your car without any ethanol in it at all. So everybody, I just want to make everybody aware of that. And uh, if you really don't want to buy ethanol, there you go. You don't have to. <laughs> Good deal. <laughs> I'm going to change gears a little bit and talk about uh, what everyone is, is pretty much looking at right now is Hurricane Michael. Um, and yeah. obviously it hit, and um, we're going to see um, a, a lot of devastation. My question is, is there any long-term impacts in the oil and gas industry uh, that will be affecting the, s- the southern eastern part of the country like we saw when Hurricane Harvey hit the Texas coastline? Yeah, um, actually, probably not, um, because there's just not a, a whole lot of oil and gas industry where Michael went through, uh, just in terms of long-term impacts. Um, you know, you got pipelines under the ground that aren't going to be impacted by a hurricane, and uh I'm sure it tore up a bunch of gasoline stations and things like that. But in that part of the country, you know, where it hit Florida and then it, it curved up through a little bit of Alabama and Georgia and then the Carolinas went back out in the Atlantic, uh, there's just not a lot of oil and gas activity in that area. Not a lot of refineries, in fact, very few, only a handful. And so far, anyway, I haven't seen that, that there's going to be any, you know, that there was any big major flooding any of those installations like we had in Texas. And so, um, you know, it looks like uh, the industry is pretty lucky there. It did shut down about 40% of the platforms in the Gulf of Mexico for a couple of days. And so, uh, for those who are not aware, about 20% of the nation's oil supply uh, production is, is comes out of the Gulf of Mexico. Mm-hmm. And so for two days, we lost that production, something like, uh, I can't remember how many, 600,000 barrels a day or something like that were shut in for two days. And so there was that little bit. But it's not anything that's 
permanent. It's not anything that's going to have any sort of major or lasting impact on crude oil prices or anything like that. Switching gears, the Wall Street Journal, they had a story this week discussing the fact that ExxonMobil is going to spend $1 million promoting the carbon tax in the United States over the next two years. And that does seem a little odd, considering they're uh, ExxonMobil, an oil and gas company. Um, and But it, to me, it seems like a very, very low amount of money, uh, n- understanding how much money these companies spend on, on different things. What's <laughs> up with that? <laughs> yeah, well, it's, so they are, and they, they've taken a position. ExxonMobil and Shell, I know for sure, uh, both have taken a position in favor of of a carbon tax, and um, why? You know, I, I well, so originally it was, you know, you had the proposal almost a decade ago now to do right. a cap and trade system, right? Uh, to put a price on carbon, and there's still advocates in Washington, you know, and all over the world uh, at the UN and elsewhere, you know, saying we have to put a price on carbon because of climate change and. And all that, and, and ExxonMobil, being a very practical company that they are, uh, decided, well, you know what, if you're going to do that, um, a carbon tax sure is a whole lot simpler to deal with than a very complex and, and really ridiculous cap-and-trade system that just creates all kinds of perverse incentives. And so they, they have a, taken a position that if uh, the federal government is going to go about putting a price on carbon, they, you know, they want to do it via carbon tax. Now, um, quite honestly, I don't think there's really much chance in this administration that, that either one's going to be done, frankly. And uh, But it was big news, you know, that Exxon had announced that they're going to spend a million dollars promoting that. Um, so, you know, that's what it is, and uh, I... I seldom disagree with ExxonMobil on anything, but that's one of those things that I just philosophically don't agree with. Well, I think we need to continue to watch because, you know, some of the things that I love about ExxonMobil is, I don't know if you've seen these amazing commercials that they're running all over the channels and it's, um, you know, energy and it's ExxonMobil and it's just this dynamic commercial. They probably have spent way more than a million dollars on that too. So, oh um, yeah, no, they yeah, exactly. I mean, a million dollar spend is is not a big dollar amount, but it sounds like a big dollar amount, uh, you know, in a news story. So, yeah, um, how much impact that'll have just in terms of influencing Congress one way or another, I don't know. Interesting. Well. Um, we're going to change a little bit, uh, and we're going to get into some politics as we normally do. But uh, we normally talk about oil and gas politics, but there's an election right around the corner. So I'm going to give it a little bit of time on the show today to kind of talk about the you know whole Kavanaugh effect. Or you know, there's some people out there calling this Kavanaugh effect. Something's happening around the country. These polls are um, showing things that are very very interesting, close races, and um, they're kind of leaning in in, in a direction. So um, I want to you know, ask your opinion about where, what is the Kavanaugh effect and, and, and which party is going to benefit and, and, and what are you seeing in the way of evidence. But we do have to take a quick break. You're listening to In the Wall Patch Radio Show and we'll be right back. Oilfield Experts is the only place you need to go to locate any part, any time for your automotive or oilfield equipment needs. 
Specializing in hard-to-find oil-filled parts for your fleet maintenance needs, oil-filled experts have been providing parts and accessories to keep your tools turning since 1965. From the auto repair shop to the pump jack, call us to get the right part right now. Here's the number, so write it down. Oil-filled experts, 210-471-1923. Again, that's 210-471-1923. Put the power of sand force to work for you today. Call 800-231-8198. Again, that number is 800-231-8198 or visit dragonsandforce.com. We're back. You're listening to In the Old Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is David Blackman. David, before the break, I was talking about the Kavanaugh effect, and I wanted your opinion on, first of all, what is the Kavanaugh effect? And uh, tell me a little bit about these polls that are coming out. Yeah, well, so, of course, we had the very contentious um, confirmation process with Judge Kavanaugh, now Supreme Court Justice Kavanaugh. Right. That went on for a good three weeks um, during late September, early October. And the manner in which that was carried out and the antics that uh, the opposition engaged in during that process uh, has had an impact, I think, on a lot of these races that are going on around the country. There's been a lot of commentary about it in the news media about whether or not there would be a Kavanaugh effect, and if so, which party would benefit. And it seems pretty evident from the polling that has now come out in the 10 days or so since all of that died down or that process finished, that uh, the polls are moving now uh, in the Republicans' directions in a lot of these races around the country. For example, a real good example is in Tennessee, the senatorial race. In Tennessee, where a month ago, the Democratic candidate, uh, his last name is Breeds, and he's a former governor there. Uh, was leading in that race uh, against Marsha Blackburn, who is a Republican congressman and, and a Republican candidate for the Senate. And he was ahead by a few points in all the polls in that race. This week, we saw a poll uh, that the New York Times took that had Blackburn 18 points up. I mean, just a huge sea change in that oh, race. Oh, yeah. Uh, North Dakota senatorial race. Heidi Heitkamp is the incumbent up there. Uh, she was three or four points up last month in most of the polls. Now she's 10, 12 points down. Uh, so that's, it's a big, big shift. Uh, the Senate races in Arizona and Nevada and even here in Texas are all trending the Republicans way down. Missouri. So what? The, uh, so then the what, is the, what is the Kavanaugh effect at the end of the day? What's the meat and potatoes of it? Is it that... Well, I think there was a, a very negative public reaction to... You know, all the protesters standing up and screaming during the hearings and, and all the crazy protest actions that went, went on uh, in front of the Supreme Court, uh, a, a big group of protesters occupying the Senate, Hart Senate office building, people getting arrested and hauled off to jail, screaming and yelling uh, all over television for two weeks. And yeah, that does seem a little strange. Public opinion. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, we're, we, we are a country that you do have the right to do that, but... Sure. There's also a, a decency factor, and we're not that kind of country that you see those things going on and people are getting hurt, and, you know, you it's okay to have a difference of opinion, and we all should have the right to have a difference of opinion. We do have that right, but 
You do it in a respectful, calm manner. Um, I, I guess that's probably, yeah, the best way of, of putting that. Um, well, you do it in a legal manner. I mean, uh, what a lot of people don't understand is it's, it's a violation of federal law for that big group of people to go into a federal office building and shut it down like they did. I mean, right. that, that's a... Uh, it's getting a, it's, it really is getting and, out of uh, hand it, it's it's yeah. definitely getting a, a, a it's getting to be a scary place so um hopefully everybody calms down the elections um i want to take two quick questions or i want to get two questions to you where's the balance going to end do you think in the election day in, in dc who who comes out victorious on that and then is there a blue wave still coming to texas <laughs> so okay well uh i'll answer the the first question first I, you know my outlook has been and still remains that the Republicans are going to gain a net four to five seats in the Senate uh, and end up with 55 or 56 seat majority in the Senate, and that the Democrats will gain seats in the House, but not enough to get a majority. I I think the Democrats are going to gain, end up uh, with around 205 seats in in the House of Representatives. They'll pick up 10 to 15 seats total, uh, but the Republicans will still have a majority. Um, here in Texas, no, there's no blue wave there. Are Texas. you sure? Because everybody is saying there's a blue wave coming if you're listening to you know. the Democrat Party. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, I, and of course, a lot of the news media was trumpeting that for the first nine months of the year, but they just kind of stopped now as, as there a lot of them are just finally coming to the realization that, you know, you can hype this all you want, but people still are going to go out and vote. And Texas is a heavily Republican state, um, and with, so it's so the Beto O'Rourke and, and Ted Cruz race is a great example. Beto, you know, he started campaigning in January and had a lot of money, and he's been up on television and you know going all over the state campaigning since January. Ted Cruz, and so we got to September, and it looked like a really close race. If you remember, a month ago I did the show, we talked about this, and I said, well, what's probably going to happen is now. Ted Cruz is going to start really campaigning, and, and we're, as we get closer to Election Day, people who are late deciders tend to go ahead and decide for the incumbent. And so that's what's happening. And, and so this, what appeared to be a close race, September 1st, is now not so close, and it's going to be less close on Election Day, and Cruz is going to win that race by, I, I think, 12 to 15 percent of the vote at the end of the day. Interesting. And so that's just how it works. And, and, you know, you have to, you can't really evaluate these things all that well if you don't really understand, the, you know, how the voters end up deciding like. So, anyway. Yeah. A quick question on um, Bethel. Did he get uh, violations pertaining to campaign funds? Do, do you know if he did or not? Well, did he? Uh, yeah. It, it, so they do quarterly filings, and there were some some uh, contributions that had come in from outside the country, and they weren't substantial. It, it did make some news, and and people should not be really focusing on that because it, it happens in a lot of campaigns. You, you get hundreds and hundreds of st- checks coming in, and and you make those filings at the last minute, and you don't catch everything, and, and it wasn't a big deal. Okay, just wanted to verify that. Okay, well, David, guess what? That is all the time we have. It seems like our shows get shorter and shorter and shorter <laughs> because we, I guess we talk so much and we need so much. We need to get so much information out there. And so um, look forward to having you next week on the show again. Thank you for coming in and talking everything oil and gas and politics with us. Great. I'll look forward to it.
Thanks, David, for being a guest today on our show. And congratulations, because you are going to be the topic of today's trivia question. Be the first person to email the correct answer to this trivia question to radio at shellmag.com and you will have a chance to win a $75 gift certificate to Fogo de Chao, the amazing Brazilian steakhouse. Today's trivia question is, what is David Blackman's title at Shell Magazine? I'd like to encourage our listeners, if you have a question, we are here to answer it. If you have a question, no matter how simple or how difficult you think it might be, please email us at radio at shellmag.com. Again, that's radio at shellmag.com. And we will have our resident energy expert, David Blackman, answer it for you. But that is all the time we have for this show. Please be sure to like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash in the oil patch and follow us on Twitter at shellmag. And also be sure to go to shellmag.com and sign up for our free newsletter. Again, that's S-H-A-L-E-M-A-G.com and sign up for our free newsletter. That is going to wrap up another great show. We'll see you next week with more exciting news and insightful interviews. Until then, adios. In the Oil Patch is where together we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bilotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch.